The 14th century English mystic Julian of Norwich has been talked about by people in many different ways, but first and foremost, she's the author of an extraordinary text, The Revelations, which is the earliest known text authored by a woman in English. Personally, she has been a friend and companion in my Christian life for over 30 years. I'm the Reverend David Simmons, Episcopal priest and oblate in the Order of Julian of Norwich. Thank you for joining me as we read and pray through the works of this extraordinary woman of faith and explore what she has to teach us about God's love. Good morning and welcome to Love Was His Meaning, Reading and Praying with Julian of Norwich. We're up to chapter 46 today, and we will begin with the little office that is linked in the description. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us say together Psalm 61. Hear my cry, O God, and listen to my prayer. I call upon you from the ends of the earth with heaviness in my heart. Set me upon the rock that is higher than I, for you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. I will dwell in your house forever. I will take refuge under the cover of your wings, for you, O God, have heard my vows. You have granted me the heritage of those who fear your name. Add length of days to the king's life. Let his years extend over many generations. Let him sit enthroned before God forever. Bid love and faithfulness watch over him. So will I always sing the praise of your name, and day by day I will fulfill my vows. Glory to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. Let's say together a prayer of Julian. God of your goodness, give me yourself, for you are enough to me, and I can ask nothing that is less that can be full honor to you. And if I ask anything that is less, I shall always be in want. For only in you have I all. Amen. All right, so we are ready to go into chapter 46. Uh, when last we left off in chapter 45, uh, Julian was dealing with the, uh, as it would say in the Middle English, the two dooms. Uh, these two, and in Middle English, uh, doom is a judgment. Uh, Tolkien also uses this terminology as, a, as an anachronism. But the idea of there are these two sets of judgments, the judgment of what what uh, she sees in her revelation and the teaching of the church. And she's seeing a, a problem between uh, the the what she's seen in her um, revelations of, about that all that the uh, all shall be well and all 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 of that stuff and the teaching of the church about uh, people being sinners and um, needing needing rec uh, reconciliation. And she's been struggling with that, so we're continuing to talk about that in this chapter. But the passing life that we have here in our fleshiness does not know what our self is, except through our faith. And when we know and see truly and clearly what our self is, then shall we truly and clearly see and know our Lord God in fullness of joy. And therefore, it is inevitable that the nearer we are to bliss, the more we shall yearn, and that both by nature and by grace. We can have knowledge of ourself in this life by the continual help and strength of our own transcendent human nature. In this self-knowledge, we can increase and grow by the furthering and abiding of mercy and grace, but we can never fully know ourself until the last point, and at that point this passing life and all manner of pain and woe shall have an end. 
and therefore it belongs properly, properly to us, both by nature and grace, to yearn and desire with all our might to know ourself, and in this full knowledge we shall truly and clearly know our God in fullness of endless joy. And yet during all this time, from the beginning to the end of the revelation, I had two kinds of observations. The one was of endless, continuing love, with a security of protection and blissful salvation, for the whole showing was about this, and the other was the common teaching of Holy Church, in which teaching I was previously formed and grounded, and was willingly keeping it in practice and in understanding. And the beholding of all this did not depart from me, because I was not by the showing moved nor led from the church teaching in any kind of point. But in the showing I was rather taught to love that teaching, to delight in it, for by it I could, with the help of our Lord and His grace, grow and rise to more heavenly knowledge and noblest living. And thus, in all this beholding, it seemed to me to be necessary to see and to know that we are sinners, and we do many evils that we ought to stop, and we leave many good deeds undone that we ought to do, and for this we deserve blame, pain, and blame, and wrath. But notwithstanding all this, I saw truthfully that our Lord was never angry, nor ever shall be, for He is God. He is good. He is life. He is truth. He is love. He is peace. And His power, His wisdom, His love, and His unity do not allow Him to be angry. For I saw it truly that it is against the character of His power to be angry, and against the character of His wisdom, and against the character of His goodness. God is the goodness that cannot be angry, for He is nothing but goodness. Our soul is wanted to Him, who is unchangeable, goodness, and between God and our soul is neither anger nor forgiveness, as He sees it. For our soul is so completely wanted to God by His own goodness, that there can be absolutely nothing at all separating God and soul. To this understanding, the soul was led by love and drawn by power in every showing. That it is thus, and how it is, how it is thus, our good Lord showed truly by His great goodness, and also that He wills that we desire to comprehend it, that is to say, in so far as it is proper for His creature to comprehend it. Everything that this simple soul understood, God wills that it be shown and known. For those things which He wishes to keep secret, He Himself mightily and wisely hides out of love. For I saw in the same showing that much that is secret is hidden, which can never be known until the time that God of His goodness has made us worthy to see it. With this I am well satisfied, awaiting our Lord's will in this high wonder. And now I yield myself to my mother, Holy Church, as a simple child ought. So, uh, let's go back to the idea uh, that uh, Julian has and has stated several times that there is a part of the soul that is wanted to God, is always wanted to God, is of the same nature of God. Uh, the definite, you know, the metaphysical definitions here are are um, are, are pretty hair thin. But the the idea that since we're created in the image of God, there's this part that is created in the image of God that is um, wanted to God and is always wanted to God. That that part never departs. And, and is so close, as she says in this chapter, that it's uh, so close that there is no distance between God and that part of the soul. Um, so she says there's this one part of ourselves, and we will never know fully that one part of ourselves um, until 
the time that it's revealed to us by God, um, assumedly after our death, um, uh, that that we that that part of part of ourselves is never completely known to us, but that we can receive continual help and strength through that part of our our nat- human nature which is transcendent, uh, and that's why we yearn. Uh, so she says, it's proper for us, both by nature and grace, to yearn and desire with all our might to know ourselves, and this yearning towards ourselves, the part of ourselves that's wanted with God, and yearning towards God itself, himself is part of what creates the problems within ourselves. You know, that, that yearning that cannot be fulfilled, uh, this side um, of, of revelation by God, is something that, that uh, is, in some ways is, is the root of sin. It's, you know, it's that yearning that can't be fulfilled, that we try to fulfill with all sorts of things um, that that simply cannot ever feel that yearning. Um, so um, we, we continually yearn for it. Um, and the best way to deal with that is to understand that that is what we're yearning for, that what, not, what we're yearning for is not this or that or that thing here on earth. We're ultimately yearning for what we cannot have on earth. Therefore, um, just simply trying to do all these things on earth that will make, make things better is not going to help it. Uh, it'll, it'll just lead to more and more yearning. Um, she talks once again about these two observations. This is going back to those two dooms that she was talking about earlier, of endless continuing love and the other of common, the common teaching of Holy Church. And she's getting to a point where she seems to be uh, better reconciling these. Um, so what it comes down to um, is this idea she understands from the teaching uh, from from the revelation that there's a part of us that is never separated from God. She also understands from the teaching of the church that it's necessary to see and know that we are sinners. And from the teaching of the church at the time that she was um, on earth, uh, it would have been very clear that you were a sinner. I mean, this was a high time of penitentialism in, in medieval Europe. So it would have been very clear that you were a sinner. But the way that you have to, to look at that, and she, she does a pretty good uh, job here, is that there are many evils that we ought to stop, and there are many good deeds undone that we ought to do. You know, in, when we do morning prayer in the Episcopal tradition, um, we, have, uh, we have undone those things which we ought to have done, and we have done those things which we ought not to have done, which I've always thought is just a really fantastic um, summing up of how, how we are separated from God. Um, and for this, she says, we deserve pain, pain and blame and wrath. The things that we don't do uh, that, that separate us from God, the things that we do that separate us from God, for those we deserve pain and blame and wrath. And that's what she is getting from the teaching of the Holy Church at that time. But notwithstanding all that, I saw truthfully that our Lord was never angry, nor ever shall be, for he is God. It God's wisdom, love, and unity don't allow him to be angry, according to Julian. So, yes, it is absolutely true that we deserve pain and blame and wrath, but that wrath does not exist in God, is, is what she's saying. That, that it is good for us to confess the fact that we, that, we, we, that we, by our separation, in some ways, usually have brought this upon ourselves, uh, either as our, our individual selves or as a species, but that wrath doesn't get brought back from God. That that God is not primarily in the punishment game, uh, is what Julian is saying. Now, 
she's arguing in some ways from a point of Greek um, uh, Greek uh, philosophy here, uh, which is very much a part of, of Christian tradition. But this idea that if God is all goodness and and love and unified, that there can't be wrath in God. Of course, if we read uh, the um, uh, the scriptures, we get lots of examples of God being angry. Uh, and it's not just Old Testament versus New Testament. Let's not play that game. Jesus gets angry too. So does Paul. So so do the writers of the other stuff. Uh, but, you know, especially right now, if, if you're watching this or listening to this around the time of uh, that it's being recorded, we're in, in our readings in the, um, in the prophets. And God spends a lot of time being portrayed as angry in the prophets, but it's always uh, in, in like Hosea and Isaiah, it's never because of the individual things that we do. Like it's, it's not because you did something naughty. It's because the people refuse to take care of the poor and the downtrodden, the widows and the orphans. I mean, that's the continual refrain in the prophets is you continue to profit, make profit, you continue to hoard things for yourselves, and you refuse to take care of those who are, uh, who have less than you. And that's why God is angry uh, in, in the Old Testament prophets. So I think it's, it's fruitful actually to hold both positions that uh, maybe it's not anger in a, in a, in a human sense, but it's certainly the, the understanding of God that we are not in the place that we're supposed to be. Um, and that would be something that probably we as human beings would um, say is anger, even if it's impossible for God to be technically angry in the way that one of us would be uh, unreasonably angry. Um, God's anger is always reason is is reasonable usually in the in the Bible. But I think it's once again, Julian is all about holding these tensions. She's holding a tension between the this vision and the teaching of the church, and she's comfortable to sit in that tension. And we need to be okay to sit in tension too. Christian life is not about resolving all the things that we don't understand. Christian life is about sitting in the tensions and becoming comfortable with that. Uh, and the sooner we get, we we're okay with sitting in the tensions, the the more helpful uh, we will find Christianity to our daily life. So God is the goodness that can't be angry, according to Julian, because He's nothing but goodness. Uh, between God and our soul is neither anger nor forgiveness, because it doesn't have to be forgiven. It's already done. You know, if if God's not angry, how can God forgive? God doesn't have to forgive, because God is not angry. Nothing at all separating God and our soul. Uh, once again, that does not mean that sin doesn't exist. She's talking about this part of our soul that is wanted to God and, and is never separated. Uh, she's very clear about the fact that, that sin, in some ways, doesn't separate us from God. It separates us from this part of our soul that is wanted to God, and that's why it causes us so much trouble. Um, so everything that the simple soul understood... God wills that it be shown and known for these things which he wishes to keep secret. He himself mildly and wisely hides out of love. There's still an awful lot we don't understand and will not understand. And she's comfortable with that. Or she's come to terms with it. Maybe not comfortable, but she's certainly come to terms with it. And with this, she is well satisfied, awaiting our Lord's will in this high wonder. Um, once again, I think she's got some tension here because a couple of, if you remember a couple of chapters ago, she said, uh, I will wonder about this until the day I die. And now she's saying she's well satisfied. I think it comes and goes. I think it's uh, the amount of satisfaction she has with the answer she's getting is, is changes from time to time. Uh, 
much like any of us. Uh, one of the great things about reading Julian is you're interacting with a person who, uh, even though she's had years and years to reflect on all this, is still struggling. Uh, and for all of us who still struggle, uh, that's why she's such a great witness for us. Let's join together in the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. I ask your prayers for those in Ukraine. I ask your prayers for those on our parish prayer list. And I bid your prayers and intercessions at this time. Let us join together in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Save us from the time of trial and deliver us from evil. For the kingdom, the power, and the glory are yours now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Most holy Lord, the ground of our beseeching, who through your servant St. Julian revealed the wonder of your love, grant that as we are created in your nature and restored by your grace, our wills may be so made one with yours that we may come to see you face to face and gaze on you forever. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning uh, this morning. Um, until we see you again, take care of yourselves and God bless. Thank you for joining me for Love Was His Meaning today. This podcast is generally available twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. The text of Julian's Revelations used in this podcast is The Complete Julian by Father John Julian Swanson OJN and is used by permission of the Order of Julian of Norwich. The theme music is Julian of Norwich by Bombadil and is used under license.